Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Did you fail to dress up for tonight's show? No tie, an old shirt and slacks, a house dress? Well, don't give it a thought. We're glad you came as you are. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. Don't forget to visit our refreshment center during the intermission or any time. You love the tasty array of snacks we have to offer. So will the youngsters. Everything is quality and mm, so good. We hope you'll make this a weekly visit. Bring the family. Bring your friends. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Don't drive over 10 miles an hour in the theater area for your safety's sake. And mom or pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Come back soon. Up until now, I haven't had much reason to mention the pandemic and the great pause of 2020, as my friend Bannis calls it. But today we're talking about something that many thought was kind of dead, that has found new life this year with social distancing, drive-in theaters. I'm Tommy Henry, host of the Chicago History Podcast. While the heyday of drive-in theaters was more than 60 years ago, 2020 and the need for socially distanced entertainment has made them popular again. The McHenry Outdoor Theater, nearly 60 miles northwest from downtown Chicago in the suburbs, had to turn people away opening night when they were finally allowed to reopen in mid-May. People already tired of being cooped up were, and still are, eager to get out and be entertained. Pop-up drive-ins in parking lots and other open spaces have become a regular thing, as enclosed theaters remain shuttered. But where did the drive-ins start, and where did most go? Chicago was not the first city to have drive-ins. That claim lies with Camden, New Jersey, and a household chemical salesman named Richard Hollingshead, who developed the concept of drive-ins as early as 1932. How did this idea come about, you might wonder? Well, according to Jim Kopp of the United Drive-In Theater Owners Association with Smithsonian Magazine in 2008, referring to Hollingshead, quote, his mother was, how shall I say it, rather large for indoor theater seats, so he stuck her in a car and put a 1928 projector on the hood of the car and tied two sheets to trees in his yard. Hollingshead received patent 1909537 for his concept on May 16, 1933, and the following month, on June 8, 1933, he opened the first theater designed with movies to be watched by those in autos. The Marquee, according to the fascinating book Drive-In Theaters, A History from Their Inception in 1933 by Carrie Seagrave, read... Drive-In Theater, world's first sit-in-your-car, see-and-hear movies. Pretty straightforward. Guests were charged 25 cents per car and 25 cents per person for three or more guests. It was just a dollar. To see a British comedy called Wives Beware from the Comfort of Their Vehicles. The concession stand offered sandwiches and beer. Not an immediate success, filmgoers questioned why they would want to pay the same price as traditional theaters to sit in the heat, essentially outdoors, when they could go to indoor theaters and be more comfortable. 
That original drive-in in Camden, New Jersey, only lasted until 1936 before closing, and Hollingshead got out of the business. In Chicago, movies had been popular since their inception. Keep in mind, Charlie Chaplin lived and worked here in Chicago in 1915, working on a short film for SNA Studios called His New Job. Sure, he only lasted 23 days before the brutal cold made him head west to California, but still. It was only a matter of time before someone opened a drive-in, and that time was 1941. By then, there were approximately 50 drive-ins total in the United States. The May 24, 1941 box office magazine contained an article with the headline, N.S. Barger Opening Chicago Drive-In. It went on to say this drive-in would be one of the largest in the world, covering 20 acres at a cost of $75,000. That's about $1.3 million in today's money. The drive-in, as it was originally simply known, opened June 12, 1941. Located on the southeast corner of Waukegan Road and Golf Road, that's approximately 18 miles north of downtown Chicago, it could initially accommodate 1,160 cars. The first feature shown was The Trial of Mary Dugan with Robert Young and Lorraine Day. A September 12, 1941 Daily Herald newspaper article claimed that within the first few months, the theater was quite popular with tourists. Every one of the 48 states, as Alaska and Hawaii didn't become states until 1959, had been represented, with Wisconsin, just 70 miles to the north of the theater, being second to Illinois in visitors. Within the first two months of opening, nearly 200,000 automobiles entered the theater, with over three-quarters of a million guests going through the turnstiles. The article added that during the period, all of the hot dogs consumed late end-to-end would reach from the drive-in theater to Hollywood and back. In the 1940s, shows were changed twice weekly, Thursdays and Sundays, and were shown twice a day at 7.30 and 10 p.m. Later in the season, those times were moved up when darkness came earlier. On Fridays and Saturdays, there was even a midnight show. Admission was 45 cents per adult in the car and 10 cents for children. Those prices went up a nickel on the weekends. The original sound system at the drive-in at Waukegan and Golf Roads was a series of 580 grilled manholes, one for every two cars. This outdoor system meant customers would need to have their windows open to hear the movie's sound, and the sound that resulted from being emitted upward, often bouncing off the underside of cars, was said to be horrible. It also ruined the illusion of the sounds coming from the action on the screen. During rainstorms, these manhole speakers would often get flooded and ground out. Next up for drive-in sound was an overhead horn speaker, either an exceptionally large one being mounted near the screen, which gave those in the front a lot of sound and those in the back not so much, or smaller ones being mounted on tall poles around the parking lot aimed downward at cars. This caused the sound to bounce off the tops of autos, creating a tinny sound. One other attempted sound had mounted speakers that were mounted outside the car. These did not have individual volume controls and also required guests to keep their windows open. RCA had developed an in-car speaker in 1941, but it didn't get put into wide use until 1946 when most drive-ins got on board. A brochure from around that time for the drive-in at Waukegan and Golf 
promoted the idea that the seven-story screen was easy to see from anywhere and that the personalized speakers, each car had one that it could hang on the inside of the window and keep the windows rolled up, would eliminate disturbing sounds. The speakers also had individual volume knobs. Here are a few of the other comforts you could enjoy, according to the brochure. Wear your home slippers, slacks, a house dress, or even a bathing suit. You needn't leave your car, and you may smoke. Smoke is actually capitalized. Refreshments on attachable trays are brought to your car. Don't cook on warm evenings. Enjoy the show and a delicious meal at the same time. Restless children cannot disturb patrons or mother. They can enjoy the show or sleep. Elderly people or invalids never leave the car. We'll be right back. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We will bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mew. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. Competent servicemen check your car during the show. Windshields, tires, etc. are given attention and they will not accept tips. Also included in the brochure is the line, Mother Nature is the architect and decorator. She produced the scenery and sprinkled the night sky with stars. Her air conditioning brings cool, relaxing summer breezes. The spotlight is a big, friendly moon. Romance, comedy, drama, all are enhanced by the kindly surroundings. By 1942, there were 95 drive-ins in more than 27 states. Ohio had the most at 11, and the average lot held 400 cars. The rough average cost for drive-ins popping up around the country was thirty dollars to $35,000, and the Waukegan Golf Road Drive-In at $75,000 was on the high end. And on the low end, one in Galveston, Texas that was created for $1,500. Film programming for drive-ins was often tough, as film studios were notoriously difficult to work with. Studios wanted their A titles to run as many times daily to generate the most money, but drive-in theaters had to wait until after dark to run the films, while indoor theaters might be able to play a first-run release five or six times a day on one screen. Drive-ins usually only showed a film twice. Drive-ins often were only able to show newer films after they had been in indoor theaters for six months. The second drive-in theater in the Chicago area was the Harlem Outdoor Theater, which opened on August 29, 1946, near the intersection of Harlem Avenue and Irving Park Road in Norwich, just outside the Chicago city limits. This theater remained in operation until 1976, when it was leveled for a new retail development. For reference, it was across the street from what is now the Harlem Irving Plaza, which locals refer to as the Hip. One current occupant on the land formerly occupied by the Harlem Outdoor Theater is a Walgreens. By 1948, 759 drive-in theaters were in operation nationwide. 
Many drive-ins had kiddie playgrounds installed, typically in the so-called dead space, right in front of the screen, from which you couldn't see the movie anyway, so young eyes wouldn't be scarred by the images. My father, who was a kid in the 40s, recalls going on pony rides during the break between movies at the 66 drive-in on LaGrange Road. A 1950 ad for that theater, which opened in 1948, mentions the Kitty Land, and in addition to pony rides, they also had boat and auto rides. My father also mentioned that theater's later status as a, quote, passion pit. We'll get to that in a little bit. A July 27, 1950 article in the McHenry Plain Dealer newspaper in Illinois announced that McHenry would soon have a drive-in with the screen facing northwest and accommodations for 1,000 cars. It eventually opened on July 20th, 1951, as the Skyline Drive-In, with room for 750 cars. After a late 1976 renovation, it reopened for the 1977 season as the McHenry Outdoor Theater, as it is still known as of this recording. In 1960, around 5,000 drive-ins operated in America, compared to 13,200 traditional indoor theaters, a market share that contributed a hefty 23% of annual box office gross, Variety reported at the time. Although most early drive-ins were located outside of large cities where land was less expensive and noise issues, both coming from the drive-in and bleeding into the movie experience for patrons, wasn't as big of a concern, Chicago finally got a drive-in within city limits on August 19, 1950, when the double drive-in opened at 2800 West Columbus Drive with Dana Andrews in Where the Sidewalk Ends. As you may have surmised, the double drive-in had two screens, and although a third screen was added later, the name remained the same. A 1950 ad for the theater takes a not-so-subtle swipe at suburban drive-in theaters with, At last, a drive-in that is actually near you, only three blocks west of 74th and Western, only three blocks east of 79th and Kedzie. A few lines below, it goes on to add, Three blocks west on Southwest Highway. Those are very specific directions. The September 11th, 1950 Chicago Tribune featured individual ads for the following suburban drive-ins. Sky High Drive-In at Roosevelt and Butterfield Roads. This was the first drive-in to open in DuPage County. The 66 Drive-In on LaGrange Road. The Family Outdoor in Grays Lake. The four-screen drive-in at 138th and Halsted, the Starlight Drive-in on 95th Street, the Waukegan and Golf Road Drive-in, which uh, by then was touting itself as Chicago's original and world's largest, two SNS Outdoors theaters, one on Harlem Avenue and one on North Avenue, and the Double Drive-in at 74th and Western. There was also an ad for the Route 41 Outdoor Theater, which billed itself as, quote, easy to reach, five minutes southeast of city limits. The Route 41 was just over the state line in Hammond, Indiana. Not listed in these ads, but in operation at the time was the Twin Oaks Open Air Drive-In at 8716 South Cicero, which put it just outside the city limits in suburban Oak Lawn. Had it been Kitty Corner on the northeast side of that intersection, it would have been another Chicago drive-in. 
The largest drive-in of the Chicago area opened on March 2nd, 1956 at an old quarry site at 31st Street and Cicero Avenue in Cicero, just outside Chicago city limits to the west. Claiming the largest screen in the world, they also touted the newest RCA sound and speakers, extra-wide ramps and roadways, and children were admitted free. The opening feature was Guys and Dolls. While it was originally a single-screen theater, two more screens were added. The Bel Air was one of the few drive-ins that used two-sided screens, allowing the theater to show two different double bills at the same time. On March 14, 1956, the trade publication Motion Picture Exhibitor reported, quote, An unfortunate situation occurred at the opening night of the new million-dollar Bel Air drive-in in suburban Cicero. Temperatures in the high 50s had melted the snow and softened the ground in the huge parking area to such an extent that many of the cars sank to their hubs. Tractors were used to pull them out. Further showings at the theater were postponed until the ground hardens. The Oasis Drive-In opened in September of 1960 near O'Hare Airport on the borders of suburban Des Plaines and Elk Grove Village. Sporting a Middle Eastern theme, this drive-in was known for its promotional efforts. In October of 1964, the Oasis Drive-In planned a spooktacular, that's their words, not mine, Halloween program. The driver of every 13th car would be admitted free, as would any driver with a 13 on their license plate. All occupants in a car with a black cat were admitted free. Kids received a free mask and a real pumpkin. There was a requisite costume parade and costume contest, and... I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Weighted ghosts and 50,000 imitation crickets were dropped from a helicopter over cars. 20 actors roamed the venue dressed as skeletons, ghosts, and gorillas, scaring the audience but then making up for it by giving them a mask. The film screen that night were Witchcraft, a Lon Chaney film about ghouls returning after 300 years to reap blood havoc, whatever that is, and The Horror of It All, a man-monster horror film starring Pat Boone. Horror indeed. Although subject to constant noise from nearby planes taking off and landing at O'Hare, the theater managed to survive until late 1973. Many drive-ins of the day were seasonal, running April or May into October or November. The Starlight in Oak Lawn ran all year long, and although that may seem implausible, the bitter Midwest cold in winter helped them attract even more business. They rented portable propane heaters, and popular double features even featured snowmobile rides for children and teenagers as they waited in line for concessions. On April 21st, 1967, coming out of what was then one of the harshest winters Chicago had ever experienced, a wave of tornadoes struck northern Illinois. There were at least 10 tornadoes in northern Illinois alone, part of 45 total that day, including three F4 tornadoes in Belvedere, Lake Zurich, and Oak Lawn, Illinois. 58 people were killed and more than 1,000 were injured. Many businesses were damaged or destroyed altogether. 
The Starlight Drive-In was hit, and as the tornado tore through the area, speaker stands were pulled from the ground, and the steel supports that held the screen up were bent, toppling the screen onto the area used for the kids' playground. As this occurred an hour before the Starlight was set to open that day, one could only imagine the injuries and loss of life that could have occurred with the lot full of 1,200 cars all trying to escape the path of that tornado. The Starlight lasted until late 1979 before being torn down and replaced by a mall. Getting into the game a little late was the Sky High Drive-In in Addison at Route 53 and North Avenue, which opened in 1968 as a twin-screen venue with back-to-back screens. That one lasted until 1985. During the 70s oil crisis and skyrocketing gas prices, America started downsizing their autos in order to save money. These smaller cars made it uncomfortable for entire families to watch movies at the drive-in. As less families were going to the drive-in, drive-in theater owners tried to offset losses by showing grindhouse fare, like slasher films, as well as adult content, further driving the families away. Another thing that had long turned families away was the reputation of theaters as passion pits. Thanks, Dad. A place where people could go with no intention of watching the movie and instead looking for a place for some intimate time. Ads for drive-in movies in newspapers were often relegated to these spots next to adult films, which also added a skeevy quality to drive-ins. By this time, almost all kids' playgrounds were gone from drive-ins due to litigious Americans. Too many lawsuits from accidents resulted in insurance costs skyrocketing. By the 1980s, drive-ins started to lose audiences even more drastically. By 1983, there were only 2,935 drive-in screens in the country. Families now had cable television and a newfangled machine called the Video Cassette Recorder, ask your grandparents' kids, uh, to entertain them. Land values began to increase for retail shopping and residential use. As more and more studios began to start sending out films for use in digital projectors instead of those old-timey heavy film canisters containing 35mm prints, drive-in theaters had a choice. Upgrade their projection system, which was roughly a 40000 to 150000 investment per screen, shut their doors or give up presenting new films and become a revival house. As of 2019, there were 321 traditional drive-ins in the U.S. According to the National Association of Theater Owners, drive-ins accounted for only 559 of the 4,072 total screens in North America in 2019, with very few operating year-round. In the current climate of COVID, many pop-up drive-in theaters, often arranged by indoor theaters unable to operate currently, have started taking place. With portable 30-foot screens and audio that can be played through car speakers, these have been well-received, with spots often selling out quickly. Even Walmart, the largest retailer in the U.S., announced they will transform 160 of their store parking lots into contact-free, family-friendly drive-in movie theaters running August through October 2020. 
It is not lost on me that many Walmart locations were built on the land formerly occupied by drive-in theaters. There are a number of drive-ins I wasn't able to fit in today, the Cascade in West Chicago for one, so I may circle back and cover more about this topic in a future episode. For that episode, I would love to hear your stories of drive-in fun. What was your local drive-in? The first movie you ever saw there? Who you were with? What about it was amazing or not so great? How many of you worked at a drive-in or still do? Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I will be posting pictures of Chicago-area drive-ins and ads from back in the day related to this episode on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages. Check them out and give us a like, please. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. He can be found at angeleyesartjks on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks jks at gmail.com if you would please take a moment and like subscribe and kindly review this wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend it helps us get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of chicago get out and explore when possible learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe thanks for listening 